0: Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 42, The Young Ruler. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. As I said in our last episode, I am very sorry for the delay in getting back to the narrative, but we are back I suppose that's better late than never. And if you didn't listen to our previous episode, I highly suggest checking it out. I was able to interview Daniel O'Shea of Centro Cultural Akamama. We discussed artifacts, illegal trade of artifacts, and what Akamama does for education and the registration of artifacts from a private collection. It was a very fun interview, and if you are ever in Cusco and participate in a workshop at Akamama, you may notice some promotional materials for this podcast. I want to thank Akamama for doing that. Helping more people learn about the Inca and the Andes in general is a shared goal we both have, and I'm excited for what the future holds for both of us. I do need to thank two new patrons for their support. William Mayer, and Samela St. Pierre. I just renewed the website for this year, and I can't tell you how much your support helps me to keep the website and this podcast going. And since we will be soon entering new territory in our narrative, territory that I am honestly a little less familiar with, I will definitely be purchasing some much-needed source material, and your support is always appreciated. So go over to patreon.com slash incapodcast and support the show at a level that best suits you. Finally, I need to thank the folks at feedspot.com. Feedspot.com is the internet's largest human curated database of bloggers and podcasts. They recently came out with the best five pre-Columbian podcasts, and A History of the Inca was on their list. And though I don't do this show to be on any particular list, it is very much an honor, and I really appreciate the recognition. So thank you, Feedspot.com. If you want to check out the entire list, you can go to blog.feedspot.com slash pre underscore underscore podcasts. A link can also be found in the show notes. Now then, the last time we were covering the narrative, it was May 2021. Tupac Inca Yupanqui, the Sapa Inca who had incorporated more territory than any other Inca before him, had gone to meet his father, Inti. Titu Cusi Yupanqui is but a boy when he is selected to succeed his father with a regency placed to help him govern. Surely no trouble could arise from having a young, inexperienced child come to power, right? Enjoy. With her son being so young, and the threat of coups or assassinations always high when a new Inca comes to power... Mama Oklo petitioned Titu Kuzi Yupanqui and the Regency to remain close to Cuzco. As it would turn out, her concerns were very much justified. As I have covered before, a Sapa Inca would have many wives and or concubines, and Tupac Inca Yupanqui was no exception. One of his former concubines, Curry Oklo, claimed that a different son of Tupac's was the rightful heir, Kapak Wari. The relatives of Kapakwari, of whom the concubine was also somehow related to, all favored this. A plot was thus formed to overthrow Titukuzi Upanki. Somehow, word got back to Akachi, and this is Waman Akachi, or Alturongo Akachi uncle of Titu Kuzi Yupanki and protector. He goes by slightly different names in the sources, but I am going to simplify it for our purposes and just call him Akachi. Cool? Cool. Anyways, Akachi was alerted of the plot to unseat his nephew. He called upon several close friends to guard Titu as he gathered a small group to launch a counter-strike. The group captured the concubine Kuri Oklo, the pretender Kapakwari, as well as Wari's mother, Chukwi Oklo. It is then said that Curry Oklo was killed for raising up Kapakwari. Chuki Oklo was then accused of murdering Tupac Inca Yupanqui in order to get the fringe for her son, and was also put to death. As for Kapakwari, he is either killed or forced into exile. The sources are unsure of his fate. However, as the pretender and his supporters were being rounded up, Akachi had gone to Quispi Cancha to bring Titu Kuzi Yupenki to the Kori Cancha to begin his proper ceremonies to become Sapa Inca and assume the fringe. Titu then became son of Inti, the Sapa Inca, and assumed the new name Huana Capac, Young Ruler. It was sometime after that event that Walpaya was designated as a tutor to the young Sapa Inca. However, the tutor soon began to plot to install himself as the Sapa Inca instead. The plan was to place weapons strategically throughout Cusco for Walpaya's supporters to seize and launch a surprise coup when the moment was right. These weapons were to be placed in baskets, which were similar to the baskets that were used at the time to hold coca leaves. Unfortunately for Waliapaya, and fortunately for Wanakapak, the plot never had a chance to come to fruition. It turns out a pair of thieves grabbed one of the baskets and took off with it. When they unloaded the contents, they discovered the weapons hidden inside instead of a bunch of coca. The thieves no doubt took a risk in informing Akanchi of what had taken place and the weapons they had discovered. After all, stealing was punishable by death in many cases within the empire. The fates of the thieves are not known to us, but Akachi nonetheless investigated other baskets and found similar contents to the first. It is likely that one of Huaypaya's supporters eventually spilled the beans to Akachi, who then arrested Hualpaya, killed him, and the rest of the conspirators. It is quite possible that there were others who challenged Huanakapak for the fringe. Such conspiracies were common at a time of transition, especially so when the Sapa Inca is so young. Siblings or half-siblings were always a viable threat. And then we have other family members, such as uncles, who could take advantage of such situations. Akachi was always loyal and protective of his nephew, until the boy grew up to be a man. However, it would be nearly a decade of Akachi acting as the de facto regent before Juan Akapok would rule on his own. So what did Wanakapak do once the regency was over? Well, the young ruler married married Kuzi Rime, and together they had a child, Ninan Kuyochi. Unfortunately, Kizi Rime would die in childbirth, which led to Chimbo Oklo becoming the principal wife of Wanakapak. Of course, he took other wives as well, and we'll get into that a few episodes from now as it will have great repercussions for the empire. Wanakapak had several building projects completed over his life, though some likely took place early on in his reign. He had his estate at Yukai, located in the Sacred Valley. The Casana was built on the wakapata, and the uchuyo was also his palace within Cusco. And since Wanakapak was still young, Mama Oklo insisted that he remain close to Cusco. He was able to travel just a little bit. He visited the Soros, Lucanas, and Andahuaylas areas. Of course, the young Sapa Inca visited his grandfather, father, and even his uncle and other ancestors during his time at the capital. I picture him giving sacrifices of coca and gold to them as he asked them for advice on how to rule. The Stoic ancestors, looking very much alive, replying through an interpreter to convey their wisdom to their young descendant. Eventually, Mama Oklo joined those ancestors as she passed from the world of the living. We are told that a very elaborate funeral was held for the late Koya, a daughter of Pachacuti, a sister and wife of Tupac Inca Yupanki, and mother of Wanakapak. Mama Oklo was directly related to and influenced three of the most powerful Sapa Inca in the history of the empire. Her death was likely felt throughout the region. And though we don't know how close Wanacapak and his mother truly were, we do know that her passing did mark one thing. The beginning of the Sapa Inca traveling outside of the heartland. Wanakapak's first excursion led him to the coast of Chincha, where we've been before. Dinka had already increased reciprocity demands upon them in the past, but Wanakapak demanded more women and Yanakona for himself and his father, Inti. Koyasuyu was his next destination. There he inspected the storehouses in the Akiawasi, he observed roads getting rebuilt as they were every time a new Sapa Inca came to power. Juanacapac also oversaw the creation of meat Maze and was able to see firsthand how the state was organized outside of the Cusco area. We are told that the young ruler tried to dress like the locals, a tactic his grandfather, Pachacuti, had used to ingratiate himself with local groups. It is unclear if his father had used such a tactic, but we should not be surprised if he did. The Inca always tried to implement diplomacy over war. Dressing himself similar to the locals likely disarmed them a bit, and certainly made the son of Inti seem more relatable. Juanacapac traveled further south to Tucuman, and modern-day La Plata, where he learned that the Chiriwanas, a group who resided in the jungle, were attacking one of their border forts. He dispatched a couple of captains further south to deal with the issue, and the, Chiriguanas, and the Chiriguanas are forced to retreat back. But do remember the Chiriguanas. They will make a brief appearance in our next episode. Not long after this incident, Wanakabak's uncle Akachi is sent north into Chincha Suyu, to conduct a tour of that quarter of the empire. Now we must remember that the last time we are told of this happening, Tupac capac rebelled against Tupac Inca Yupanqui. Nevertheless, Akachi traveled north while the Sapa Inca continued his current tour of the south, visiting Charkas, Cochabamba, Pocona, Coquimbo, and then Copiapo. Now, we must also remember how vast the empire is. It stretched over 2,500 miles, or over 4,000 kilometers, whatever your preferred measurement system is. Given the size and distance from one end of the empire to the other, it was not unusual to have trusted relatives examine another part of the empire. However, the distance was so great that the Choskis were not fast enough to cover all the ground if a rebellion broke out at the other end. So at some point, a fire signal system had been put in place. Now, who put this system in place? We do not know. But if the signals were lit, it would at least alert the Inca that a rebellion was occurring. Sure, the Inca wouldn't necessarily know from where but by the time the Chaskis did arrive, the Sapa Inca had already begun to mobilize his army. As I'm sure you can guess where I'm going with all this, the beacons of the Andes were lit. There was a rebellion underway. Who was rebelling was unclear, It could very well be his own uncle. Juanacapac turned his army north, the direction of the fires, and by the time the Chaskis had arrived with the message, Juanacapac was already covering ground. But it turned out that it was not Akachi. Indeed, he had been the one who sent the message. Quito and the surrounding areas were in revolt. Despite the point of the fire system of alerting the Inca to a rebellion or acting quickly, Wanakapak's pace north was all of a sudden anything but quick. He stopped at Tiwanaku in the Island of the Sun, likely not wanting to head over to the other end of the empire without at least seeing the holy site. Besides, who knew if he would ever get a chance to return? With the distance being so great and the rebellion so large, the Sapa Inca needed fresh troops. So, at the island, Wanakapak put out the call for new troops to be raised from koyasuyu no doubt putting the groundwork he had laid with his many stops and visits to good work. After twelve lunar months in Koyasuyu, Juanakapak was back in Cusco. No doubt he had some business to attend to as his army was being gathered. His cousin and best friend, Yamke Yupanki II, gave birth to a daughter, Kuzirime Oklo. Juanakapak insists that Yamke's daughter be betrothed to Atahualpa, who was now one of many Juanacapac's sons. As he was nearly ready to depart, Wanakapak made his uncle Akachi governor of Cusco. We will never hear of Akachi again after this. We can only assume he passed during his nephew's campaign in Chinchisuyu. From what we know about Akachi, he always honored his late brother's word and protected Juanacapac and served him loyally despite the opportunity to place the French upon his own head. Juanacapac decided that he would take a few of his sons with him, and as I said, the Sapa Inca had several at this point, from various women. Notably, not one was from Chimbo Oklo, his principal wife, and though they would have a daughter together, a son would never be in the cards. The Sapa Inca decided to take his oldest and presumed heir, Ninan Cuyochi, as well as his other son, Atahualpa. Paliu, Tupac, Manco Capac, and Huascar were too young and stayed in Cusco. And if you've been listening to this podcast and not truly been paying attention to all the names of anyone but the Sapa Inca, this is where I encourage you to change that habit. Of those five sons I just mentioned, four would claim to be the Sapa Inca in the years to come. Meanwhile, Cuzirime will be in relationships with two of the most powerful men in the Andes. Next time, we march north with Wanakapak to witness one of the bloodiest campaigns waged by the Inca.